Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex, access our monthly newsletter with subscriber-only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Just a reminder, this podcast deals with adult content, so if you don't have total privacy, you might want to put on your headphones. Now today, the letter is F, and F is for forum. And today, I'm actually doing a live podcast from your Tangle Experts conference. And we're going to have a question and answer forum. So I'm asking all these helping professionals to ask me some questions about sex and sexuality. And listeners, I have no idea what they're going to ask me, so please bear with me. Okay, go ahead. When does a fetish become an addiction? Ah, okay, so now there's some argument as to whether a fetish is ever an addiction. And there's lots of arguments about whether sex, there could be sex addiction, and I'm not going to take that up. I like to look at it as an obsession rather than an addiction because it makes more sense to me psychologically. Psychologically, a fetish actually is usually seen as obsessive, but the way we use the term, it's when you have an unusual like, an unusual sexual desire, that's a fetish. For example, some people um, really like leather. They like the feel of leather, they like the smell of leather. Some people like feet. So they might have a fetish for feet. And in the old days, psychiatrists and psychologists diagnosed as a result of fetish. We don't do that much anymore. Uh, we only do that when the fetish gets in the way of someone's life. So that's the answer to the question is when it becomes obsessive and a person cannot achieve any sexual satisfaction without that particular object and it's causing them problems with their relationships. That's when you label it as an obsession or an addiction and you do something about it. Okay. Um, there are so many people who have problems with erection and it affects the effective relationship. And I just would like you to talk about the merits of outer force since all we focus on is intercourse. Fantastic. So I'm just going to repeat the question because I don't know how much of the questions this is picking up. So she asked, she said that there are so many people with erectile dysfunction and so many people that have problems with intercourse. And she wanted me to talk about the merits of outer course because all we do is function, focus on intercourse. So outer course is everything that doesn't involve penetration. And actually, some people kind of change it and they say, well, out of course could be um, digital penetration. But technically, that's intercourse. So it's any sexual activity that doesn't involve penetration. 
So first of all, we know that um, Panellinus, for example, is fantastic for foreplay. But it's also fantastic in and of its own right. And when couples are having problems with things like erectile dysfunction and orgasm, it's fabulous to take them away from that pressure, and particularly the pressure to have full intercourse, and actually get them back to exploring their bodies. So outer course is wonderful for highlighting desire, and it's wonderful for helping deal with dysfunction. It makes it much easier. It creates a much more relaxed environment, and actually, particularly for women, clitoral um, stimulation doesn't happen very well through intercourse. You only get that through doing activities where you're actually focusing on the clitoris, and so that's, that's where outer course comes into its own. Uh, someone left with a question on fetish, mm -hmm. and I've come across this more than once. Uh, as a matchmaker, uh, the, the man says a sexual fantasy or fetish, I don't know the correct terminology, likes to wear women's underwear. Mm -hmm. and, as, and has shared that with me as a matchmaker, and I've always found, I didn't know what the appropriate, should I leave that conversation for him to have with the, the woman Number one, there's that, because there's client confidentiality and he is a matchmaker. And then secondly, at what point does someone with that kind of a, of a I don't know, is it fetish? Mm -hmm. A fetish that he likes to wear women's underwear, uh, when should you talk about that in the dating process, in your opinion? Okay, so uh, the question is from a matchmaker who says that men present sometimes with the fetish, fashion transvestism, when a man likes to wear women's clothing likes to wear women's underwear in particular, that's a very common one. And that, um, the question was first, is that something that she shares with the women that she's trying to match him with? And second, or does she leave that to him? And second, when in the dating process do you talk about this? I think it depends on the guy. If that's something that they do every day and cannot live without, then you probably want to negotiate to screen women because women, because lots of women have a problem with this. And then there's a, a, a group of women who just don't care. Particularly if they understand that the vast majority of men who dress in women's underwear under their clothes are not gay. Yes. Right? The vast majority of them are full-blown heterosexual and that this is something different for them. Is there a psychological attachment to why a man likes that? You know, the fact of the matter is, is that we don't know a lot about where fetishes come from, but one thing we do know is that people are sexual from birth. And so we have a lot of early life experiences that become sexual desires or embedded in fantasy because our bodies are reacting and doing things and something coincidental happens. So there are quite a few who have that fetish, who have memories of touching their mothers, not the nightgowns and the silky underclothes, and feeling how nice that felt, and that felt sensual, and that then becomes a sexual desire later on. So I've had one woman say, as long as he doesn't touch my good stuff, So, so I would say that's something that it's something that they are 
they really cannot be aroused without that, you probably want to scream. Because the last thing they need is for somebody to go, ooh. I mean, yeah. they get enough of that. As for women, if they're bringing it up in the dating process, and I've, I've talked to you about how you can screen easily. Because you can do a, a few question questionnaire that makes it, gives you an idea of their openness. You don't have to ask specific questions about every fetish. Just their openness. I would love that. That'll let you know just how to handle that. But in the dating process, you know, I think it's always a good idea to mention kink early. <laughs> there is, good. you know, there's no right to first date. No, no, in my before you get in bed with the person. And, I mean, you're laughing, but you have no idea how often people don't do that, and they engage in vanilla sex, which doesn't really turn them on much, but is exciting because it's a new person, and they're excited by the new person. And they get involved in the relationship, and they're uncomfortable about mentioning what they're into, and they find themselves in a relationship with somebody who, when they find out a bit about what they're into, freaks out, and they're emotionally invested, and now it's a big problem. It depends on how far out your fetishes are and your kinks are when you should mention it. If you have the occasional kink, if you like the occasional spanking, you probably don't have to mention that too early because that's not seen as a big deal. But if you want to go to a dungeon and be tied up on a St. Andrew's cross and have the general shit beaten out of you, you probably need to mention that early on. <laughs> Because that's, that's like really specialist. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. I mean, I mean, you know, I just call that a colleague as I see it, right? That's really specialist. On that note, what are the most common fetishes? Well, transvestism is one of the most common fetishes. Um, and actually, there are women who like to dress in men's clothing, too. We just don't talk about that much. And these days, we talk about gender fluidity rather than actually talking about the sexual satisfaction that people get out of that. What do you say to somebody whose partner no longer has sex with them because they're so involved with pornography? I mean, I, I unpick that. I unpick that. You know, I want to know when did this start? What do you say to somebody who knows, whose partner no longer has sex with them because they're too involved with pornography? So I like to unpick these things. I want to know when it started. Uh, I, I had a case many years ago that uh, <coughs> was referred to me by a fertility clinic. And they were undergoing fertility treatment. And the clinic referred the couple to me because they were fighting in the waiting room by shouting at each other. And I did my normal intake and I asked about sex. And nobody had asked them about sex, clearly, because they'd never had intercourse in their entire marriage. Which is probably why they didn't get pregnant, right? You know? <laughs> right, seriously. And the reason that they didn't have intercourse was because he had a very specific way, and it was the only way that he could get off. And it involved pornography, but not like tons of it. There was one specific fantasy, one specific thing that he watched or read about. And if he didn't do that, there was no orgasm. And they never discussed how to do something about this. So she got frustrated with him. She would argue with him and fight with him. And then she got frustrated with him. And she wanted a baby. So all three went to the fertility clinic. Um, so I don't have to unpick that. When did he start using pornography? 
When did they stop having sex? Was it before he started using pornography or after he started using because you'd be surprised how often I find out that pornography came after the sex stopped, not before. And the pornography is, I gotta get off some way. And I'm mad at you, and I don't wanna work on this anymore. You rejected me a hundred times. And a, 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 another person whose partner fairly regularly would get up in the middle of sex and leave the room <laughs> and not come back. The gal. Got up in the middle of the act, didn't say a word, walked out the room. Didn't come back. It was about three or four times of that, and that was the end of their sex life because he tried to find out what's wrong. And she wasn't going to talk about it, so that was it. Okay, so um, I do specialist work with people who are survivors of sexual abuse because I have an expertise in trauma. So the first thing I want to make sure is that they've actually done their trauma work. Because when you start working with them on developing their sex life, you want things not to be live. So if they haven't done their trauma work, sometimes I'll do that because I can. Uh, other times I'll refer them depending on what the situation is. And then we'll work on it. And you work on first shame and guilt about having sexual feelings. And I would say in my 30 years that 50% of the people that I've seen have been sexually abused have a memory from that time that turns them on. And they are devastated by the fact that they have a memory from something that was horrifically traumatic and that they did not consent to that turns them on. And that's usually the first piece of work for me. I mean, when you're talking about childhood sexual abuse, your body responds to touch. Your body doesn't know any better. So it responds to touch. So I have countless, primarily young women, but some young men who responded. And so this has become incorporated into their fantasy worlds and they can't approach sex because every time they do, they feel like horrible, terrible people. And that's how you start working. You've got to unpick that and work with the shame and the guilt and normalize things and work through their fears and then help them to create safety again. I like to do that work intensively when I can because I find that we make a lot more progress if we actually do an intensive block of work than if you spread it out over a long period of time. So I'll do an intensive block, sometimes have a couple of month break, then do another intensive block. Um, couples that have been together a long time and they just stop having sex. What are your thoughts on that? Well, they usually don't just stop having sex. Okay. Right? Just, there are lots of sexless couples. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. There are loads of them. They usually don't just stop having sex. They stop having sex for reasons. There's usually a list of them. Um, and so you have to figure out, well, why? What are the reasons? And sometimes they can't figure out the reasons, then you just want to get them restarted. I mean, one of the things that, for example, dealing with um, women with low libido is do it anyway, right? And that's really hard, and it's a really hard piece of advice, but sometimes it's like once you get started, it feels good, but the problem is you can't get started because you, it doesn't occur to you to get started because you just don't really want to. And so it's getting over that hurdle. But people stop having sex for 
as many reasons as there are relationships, and I have to have some idea of why and how long. And that's the other thing. It becomes a habit. Comes a habit. What's, what's really upsetting to me is they not only stop having sex, but they also stop being affectionate. So they stop having touch, which actually affects their health, their stress levels, and the rest of their life. So I like to try and do something with that. Thank you all for asking questions. That was brilliant. And thanks for joining me this week on the A to Z of Sex. Please write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at azofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z or Z-O-F-S-E-X.com. And visit both websites, www.azofsex.com and www.the-intimacy-coach.com to learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and to learn to create that ideal, lasting, intimate relationship. If you'd like a free 30-minute session with me, head over to azofsex.com and click on the button that says Book Now. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You can do it anonymously. I don't care. Just leave a review and do please subscribe. Join me next week when the letter will be G, and G is for group sex. Thanks for listening. for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. To subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.